if you're wondering where I've been the last few weeks and why there hasn't been a podcast, it's because uh, I've been thinking about that moment in the Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared series where the duck goes, What about my shredder? My personal shredder? Sorry for your ears there. I've just been running that moment on a loop for uh, two, two weeks. Just kidding! My computer died, and it's hard to record a podcast without a computer. But we're back, baby. We're back. We're back. Broadway's burning, and we're back. Oh, boy, did I get sick macabre joy. What a little rhyme. I do it all the time. I'm your sunshine. It's rhyming time. <laughs> Kill me. Boy, did the reviews for your... Uh, I almost said, don't hug me, I'm famous. <laughs> For uh, almost famous, make me happy. Deserved. Deserved. I'm sorry to my friends in the show. Deserved. Good Lord. I'm not popping open a cold one. I'm popping open a Celsius energy drink. Not sponsored, but open to it, Celsius. Open to it. Mmm. The nice, refreshing sound of cracking open a Celsius live fit sparkling kiwi guava you see how good we could we could work together celsius i can behave i can behave for an ad read <laughs> almost famous is cynical nonsense cynical cynical dirt cynical garbage i'm not saying the performers and the crew people and the people who made the sets are garbage I am saying the material and the reason it exists is cynical garbage i have been saying it since it happened in uh where wherever it happened in California. I got a bootleg of it and I was like, oh my god, kill me if this comes to Broadway. Well I guess it's time for me to die. Finally. I've been waiting for this day. I've tried many times, but I guess we're here. Because good lord, this coming to Broadway is one of the four horsemen of the death of culture apocalypse. Same with the Devil Wears Prada. They ride together. God who asked for it? Who wanted it? Who needs it? Who is willing to pay $200 to consume two hours of it? To sit in an uncomfortable seat? To have their back hurt? To not have room for their long, long, luscious legs? So that they can see the movie? Now with Tom Kitsogs! We've got Tom Kitsogs now! Give us your $200! Insanity. Insanity, Mr. and Mrs. and this is producers. <laughs> I feel the same way, if not stronger, about Devil Wears Prada, which originally, even Elton John himself was like, We're not ready to come to Broadway, Governor! That's my British impersonation. I think it's dead on, but don't ask me. Uh, but one of my friends, one of my mutuals on the TikTok, we love the TikTok mutuals. The source of all good information comes from the TikTok mutuals, truly. Says that uh, they uh, were intimate with somebody who had knowledge that the Devil Wears Prada was going to be chugging to Broadway this season. To which I say, stop! Stop! Is this a tax write-off scheme? Who will watch it? Who will buy my sweet red devil wears Prada? 
200 foreign out. It was supposed to be an Oliver reference, but then I forgot the original lyrics and the tune, and it fizzled. I'm throwing everything at the wall. I'm seeing what sticks. It's been two weeks since Daddy's been behind the microphone. Daddy's warming up. <laughs> Slurping on an energy drink. I'm kind of like, I, I don't know what I hope happens next. I just hope it's not Broadway. Like, I have never been more disappointed in people as I have the Serenby Playhouse people, particularly Brian Cloudus. Because I would, I would first when I would watch promo videos of their shows, we'll get to their actual shows in a minute. When I would watch promo videos of their show, I was like, yes, this is it. They are bringing theater, the best, like, biggest theater in the nation, the most exciting theater in the nation to a small community outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and they're selling out all their shows, and they have real helicopters from Miss Saigon, and they are doing Titanic in a motherfucking lake where they sink the set. This is amazing. They are going to change the, like, center of where theater is perceived to be located in the United States. And then it turned out that Brian Cloudus seems to be a homicidal racist lunatic. An absolute kill him for the art, particularly if they're black or trans lunatic. A don't ask where I was January 6th lunatic. I wanted, I wanted to slap him. I wanted to slap everybody who let him do that. We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? That's what I felt like. I felt like you, you made me feel like Tyra, Brian. How dare you do that to me? <laughs> What's that little con artist doing now? It's amazing he was able to get Saren B off the ground, given what I know about that guy. Uh, the whole, there's like a, there's like a triangle of, of of Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina, and I've done a theater in all of those states, and it is all the most sketchy, motherfucking, borderline illegal, border, and not, sometimes not, sometimes well across the border, theater, where, like, sexual assault is rampant, and, like, the th director will come and grab your dick the first day of rehearsal and go, what, I'm a theater person, I'm a theater person, I'm a theater person which is a direct uh, quote and impersonation of a director I had, Scott Blanks, at Trustus Theater at the Rocky Horror Show. He never grabbed my dick because I was Eddie. I was too ugly to have me dick grabbed. But he certainly grabbed everyone else's. Fuck you if you ever listen to this, you untalented piece of garbage. Your second rate. You belong where you are, which is doing Shakespeare in South Carolina. <laughs> but no hard feelings, right? Hard feelings, Scott. I should have been riffraff, fucker. But I wasn't grope enough worthy to be riffraff, I guess, in Scott's eyes. Very disappointing. This motherfucker, I know I've told this story before, but I'm really going to go in. Because uh, maybe I'll post this on social media and cause, uh, cause some trouble later. Uh, but this motherfucker, I remember the first day was like, I'm going to do it. This is not an, like a gay Edwin impersonation. This is just what this individual sounded like. I am not being homophobic. This is just how he talked, okay? Don't come at me. Don't. 
first day we sit first cast meeting is us watching the movie and already i'm like oh shit this is not good this is going to be a motherfucker who thinks good directing is just copying the movie certainly he was uh certainly he was but the first like real rehearsal he was like they offered, they being the theater, they offered to hire an intimacy coordinator to talk to you guys, but I wanted it to be real. I want you to suck a tit, lick a cheek, make out, use your tongue, grab an ass, pinch your nipple. And like one time, that was the first time he said it. He said that multiple times. He would say it was not sexy enough. Uh, and, and, like, one time he berated us as we got closer to opening night because we weren't sexually assaulting each other enough on stage, I guess. And, like, basically yelled at us that we weren't grabbing enough tits. We were, like... And, um, listen, if choreographed intimacy is one thing done in a safe way. This man wanted unchoreographed intimacy. He just wanted you to grope your fellow cast members, and then he was mad that everybody kind of felt fucking weird about it. Anyway, when when we complained about this motherfucker to the artistic director, I'll get to you in a minute, dickweed. <laughs> when we complained to the artistic director, number one, he told one of my friends, this is your first professional show, isn't it? It's certainly not mine, motherfucker. It's certainly not mine, shitweed. So when... <laughs> So the artistic director then was like, Scott Blanks will never work for this theater again. Lo and behold, the motherfucking artistic director directs Evil Dead the next season in the spot that Rocky Horror was in the previous season. And who does the promo videos but Scott fucking Blanks, the director of the Rocky Horror show. But we had already come to expect that from the director at this point, Chad, the artistic director. Chad Henderson, because after we complained about the sexual assault going on in his theater, he then showed me and other people who had complained to him about sexual assault in his theater his penis unsolicited at a cast party. And I don't know about you, but it's never a good party when the guy who signs your check dick comes out suddenly, when he infiltrates your conversation with his penis. I bitched about that for years. I bitched about it to the board. They didn't do anything. I bitched about it to, uh, like, the staff. They didn't do anything. Eventually, like, years later, I went to the press. And lo and behold, right after I was interviewed by the state paper in South Carolina, Chad left Trustus suddenly. Womp womp. Bye, Chad. That's why I'm a firm believer that, like, do not go to the, go to the theater Give them a very small amount of time to fix something when something like sexual assault or something major happens. And then when they inevitably don't because they won't and they all protect themselves, go to the press. Go to the press. Contact your local paper. You can have this solved in a day. You can have this solved in an hour. Go to your local paper. Give an interview. Be brave. I know it's hard, but these people don't have any real power. It is the perceived power that they have that frightens you. They're not shit. You can take them down with a with a blow of your of your lips. Maybe take them down with the blow of your lips was not the best uh like 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 scenario to say you can take them down like they are a feather and you are the wind that that is honestly what i recommend you do in my experience nothing will get changed any other way 
Whoo, how do you segue? You know, I wanted to talk on my TikTok, and then I was like, I'm not qualified about the production over in England of Romeo and Juliet, where, uh, if I believe I'm remembering correctly, Juliet is a trans non-binary person, and uh, Romeo is a skinhead neo-Nazi, and there is a either a swastika or the, the Hitler eagle on the logo. I just want to say what? What? I don't even have to look this up. I'm going to. But I don't really even have to look this up to know that the creative team for this is all, like, so pale that they're transparent. I believe uh, one of the opening lines of the play, if I'm remembering correctly in my stupid, stupid mush brain, is two households alike in dignity. You know, the two households of the Jews and the Nazis. Are you out of your fucking mind? Have you not read the text? So edgy, you'll get to the National Theater that way, boys. Jesus. It reminded me on a much lesser scale, much lesser scale. Uh, really only on the scale of it being, uh, of it being, uh, misguided politically was when uh central park i think the year trump was elected J julius caesar with a trump impersonator as uh as uh julius caesar with the gold bathtub and all and like i get it but like have you read the play i don't know I didn't feel like it worked. It almost did not work comically. It was almost like, I get it. Put Orange Man on stage. Orange Man bad. Orange Man funny. Orange Man buffoon. Orange Man Caesar. Kill Caesar. We get to kill Orange Man on stage. We don't like Orange Man. Audiences love kill Orange Man. Yay! And then they didn't think about the next two hours. They did not remember there was two hours of the play left. They just made it that far. I guess they learned in rehearsals that it wasn't a 20-minute one-act. <laughs> Oops. And what's funny is the National Theater did a concept similar but much more subtle with Julius Caesar, and it worked. They did it for National Theater Live. Americans are just too heavy-handed for Shakespeare. Even like my 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 king Sam Gold, I was not. I did not hate Macbeth like some of you probably hated Macbeth. I first of all, his Glass Menagerie changed my life. It gave me a better relationship with my mother. It made me a better artist. I have never wept in a production like I did during his Glass Menagerie. I get the hate. I get all of it. But I have never been so moved by a piece of art in my entire life as his glass menagerie uh Macbeth <laughs> so Macbeth I uh got w what he was trying to do I think and I was never bored which is the the fear with Shakespeare when you're stupid and ADHD to a, a lethal combination like me uh I was never bored. I followed the story. I thought the language flowed beautifully. But, like, at the same time, it was like a C production. You know what I mean? A C production with some good tricks. I kind of I, I kind of didn't feel like he knew exactly what he wanted to say. It was all just a little heavy-handed. Even my favorite Americans are just too heavy-handed. 
handed to handle high concept Shakespeare. Leave it to the Brits. And I used to say leave Sondheim to the Brits, but they're smoking us right now. If only for Marianne Elliott with the company revival. Like, okay, maybe this is bad. Maybe this is bad. I'm excited that we have Marilyn We Roll Along coming off Broadway and coming to Broadway to an extent. But I have seen, I've been watching that production of Merrily, the same design and directed production, for over 10 years. There's been a pro shot of that out for 10 years. And I get it. Yay, Harry Potter sings Sondheim. I get why it makes some of you feral and foaming at the mouth. Totally get it. It's a very good marketing ploy because you're not getting Sondheim to Broadway anymore without the Josh Grobens and Daniel Radcliffe's. We have to learn to live with that, okay? That's just what it is. But I would be much more excited, even with Daniel Radcliffe involved, if this was like a Marianne Elliott. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. I'm so dyslexic with names, you guys. You know who I'm talking about. Revival. That would be so much more interesting to me. A brand new crazy take on Marilyn. Her work is not crazy. That's not the right word for it. But that's what I wish we were getting. I'd be much more excited Instead, I don't really care whether or not I see the Merrily Revival uh, in the States because I've been watching the Merrily Revival Pro Shot for 10 years. I've already seen it. I already get it. Does that make sense? I've already experienced and I already get that production. I know uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe that is my ADHD. Uh, I, I like to move on after a production happens. I like to move on. You can you can rarely wow me twice, which is why I love. For some reason, some some works can. Hades Town with the original cast, I saw multiple times. It really did wow me, as if it was the first time each time. And and and, and because it was played like jazz, both acting and musically by that original cast, like and that was just incredible. It kept it interesting. Uh, I watched Ivo Van Hooves' West Side Story throughout the very long preview process. I saw it probably half a dozen times through the preview process, and I was, again, enthralled because of the changes that were being made weekly. Big changes to that production, including a new riff when old riff was being a little goofy backstage and and had a little safety uh uh-oh, allegedly. Womp. God, that production, I, I get the criticism, but I really was in love with it aesthetically. I have never wept like I have the Somewhere sequence. I just said that about the Glass Menagerie. They're close. Those are two of my absolute favorite moments of theater I've ever experienced. Where, where did all this start? Yes. Anyway, you can't wow me twice. You can wow me with a production one time, and once I've seen the bag of tricks, I want to see somebody else's bag of tricks. And that is unfortunately what I feel about Merrily, what I feel like about a, 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 a lot of things that transfer past their window peak. Am I saying that right? Like, it's certainly how I felt when they brought Cabaret back with Alan Cumming. I'm very, I had a friend that worked for Roundabout at the time. God love you. God love you, Lindsay. Uh, who got me into one of Emma Stone's first performances for free. Emma Stone touched my beard at the stage door. It was a religious experience. Remember pre-COVID when Emma Stone would just touch your beard sometime? God, fascism! (laughs) I don't know what I'm yelling about. But like that revival, everybody was kind of like, okay, 
Yay. We've already seen it. We've already seen it. It's on YouTube, bro. It's on YouTube, man. And it has been since 2009. We're bored. Can we please have new things? It's like when every time there's a new production of Rent after the original one, uh, the off-Broadway production at New World Stages, the infamous doomed live version for uh, Fox, it's Michael Greif. Okay, great. Good job, Michael Greif. We've seen it. We've already seen your take on Rent for 20 years. Maybe that is why Rent is staler than a 20-year-old bag of chips that no one put a little clip on. No one put a little clip on those chips. Clip those chips, Michael. Michael, clip those chips. Clip them, Michael. Slurps the energy drink. I don't, like, Next to Normal was very close to coming back to Broadway with the, a complete original creative team. I think that's Michael as well. That's Michael Greif as well, right? Um, and Rachel Berry James. And I heard it, basically most of the cast from the Kennedy Center, except it was going to be Josh Henry as Dan. Great cast. But I don't, I want to see that cast with a new director and a new creative team and a completely new take directorially and creatively on those characters. Broadway has a hard time letting go. We send out the same Hairspray tour, the same Legally Blonde tour over and over and over again. Aren't you guys tired? And I'm not talking the actors that it employs. I'm talking about audience members. Shows like Hairspray and Legally Blonde should tour. They make money. People want to see them. But my God, how many years do do we do we do we not do does this go on before we get new takes on these shows that I say that but when you get radical new takes on shows like company even if it is uh commercially and critically praised not you Jesse Green oh we get it I'm Jesse Green I work for the New York Times I'm subversive I hate company because Sondheim died <laughs> I'm Jesse Green. We get it, Jesse. You've got to be pretentious. You've got to be a little bumbling, pretentious man because you work for the New York Times. Because your company review was bullshit and we all know it. Anyway, Jesse Green aside, the company revival was a radical new take on the material that was about as perfect as it could be. Leading lady aside. Sorry. 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 I hate that I feel that way. But the company revival should have run much longer and been much more successful. So it's sad when there are new takes that audiences don't seem to want them. Audiences are conditioned to some degree. I'm saying I'm speaking this out loud and I'm also getting it. Broadway ticket prices are so expensive that people want a guarantee that they're going to enjoy their time. And that's why these old chestnuts of productions keep getting brought out because audiences want a guaranteed okay time. They don't want the risk for the ticket price. And I get it. The solution, I don't know what the solution is. It can't be lower ticket prices because they're already about as low as it can handle with union rates. We can't lower union rates because uh, those people have to live I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is. It's probably like what every other country with great theater does, and it's government-funded. But we know that can't happen. We're too busy taking over other countries. 
We're too busy imperializing. We don't got money for that. You crazy for art? For the gays? <laughs> that's what uh, America feels about spending money on art. And that's why American art culture is dead and dying. That's why American theater culture is dead or dying. It doesn't hold a place anymore. I, keep th I, I think all the time, who was Hamilton for? Who was Hamilton for? Who was Hamilton for? Let's break it down. Lin-Manuel Miranda claims that he wrote Hamilton, I guess, to undisenfranchise brown and disenfranchise modern-day people to, like, the accessibility to founding fathers. I, I don't know. But disenfranchised people can still not really afford... To go see motherfucking Hamilton. It is mostly the rich, white, neoliberal elite that got to see Hamilton with the original cast and that still mostly gets to see Hamilton. Who was that all for? It was so neoliberals could pat themselves on the back for liking a piece of art made by and predominantly performed by brown people. That's why Hamilton existed. Not for some lofty moral cause. It was for no one. No one but people who had $800 to spend for a couple of hours of their life. And all of Broadway is quickly becoming that way. Who is this all for? Also, a little side rant. Who goes and sees Hamilton now? Who are the thousands plus people every night plus the tours that fill it up every night for those prices who go and see Hamilton. No offense to anyone who's seen Hamilton recently, but please write in and tell me, was it just NPCs around you? Was it just people blankly staring straight ahead once they entered the theater not talking? Were they alive? Were they cardboard cutouts? Were they robots? Were they made out of styrofoam and latex? Were they real? Because it's crazy to me that that many real people are still paying those prices almost 10 years later. And oh yes, it's been almost 10 years. Hamilton premiered in 2015, right? Uh, some of us have had a demo of Hamilton from, not a demo, a recording of the workshop. I've had a recording of the workshop at the public, I think, since 2014. And I remember telling all, uh, I would impress Broadway girls with it, Broadway Disney girls, and be like, you want to hear the next huge musical? And play them this demo, and they would all freak out years later when it became... I was such a little fuck at Disney World, Jesus. Anyway. Anyway. It's been almost 10 years since Hamilton has opened. It is 2022. We're like three years off, right? Two years off if you count when it started gaining momentum as a workshop. Where'd all the time go? <laughs> and who's seeing Hamilton night after night? For the, I don't know the tune of the song after that little TikTok clip. Where did this start and where does it go? And Jeremy O'Harris raised a good point one time, I think on TikTok, basically saying like, yeah, Lynn could have done something about this whole problem of the people you claim to write the show for cannot afford to come see the show, cannot even dream of seeing it, unless their name gets pulled out of 800 others from a bucket. 
And even then, there's the accessibility problem of getting to New York City. I'll complain about linen bootlegs in a minute. Don't worry. Harris brought up the point one time that when his shows came to Broadway, he made demands about accessibility. And he said, my show will not come to Broadway unless these demands for accessibility are met. Lynn could have done that. Lynn did not do that. Instead, Lynn yelled at kids on Tumblr for sharing bootlegs, which was nasty. It was nasty. Juvenile, childish, elitist, and the elitist. And the first time the Lynn Manuel Miranda mask started to dip for me when I was like, yo, you're being shitty, Mr. Multi-Millionaire Man. Sorry all the kids on Tumblr don't have access to $800 when a new block of Hamilton tickets open or, you know, might be working or in school when you're supposed to, when you had to wait on Telecharge or Ticketmaster, I forget which, for hours to get the tickets. Maybe they just couldn't do that. Lynn. But yeah, fuck them for bootlegging your show and watching it and enjoying it and praising it and loving it and falling in love with the art form of theater through it. Fuck them, right? They're the selfish little assholes taking the $800 out of your pocket. A really nasty look. And then you start looking into, which I am not, I've been trying to make a video essay on, a, on it for a while, put it so much research uh, about how... Lynn did not fight for the members, uh, the original members of uh, Hamilton to be paid correctly. They all signed uh, petitions and everyone signed it basically, but Lynn. And it's always been so, so, so nasty to me. The original cast made you guys and are still making you guys so much fucking money. So much money was made on the backs of these performers who were making not too far from equity minimum. That's why none of them stayed after they won Tonys because they weren't offered that the they weren't offered the proportionate bump they should have been offered for staying financially. That's why Leslie Odom Jr. was not going to do the taping up until the last minute because they would not pay him anything really. They, would, they were trying to pay him as little as possible for something they knew they were going to make hundreds of millions of dollars off of. It was fucking nasty, and they still didn't even pay him that much at the end of the day. It was fucking nasty. How do you do that? Does does greed and like does like that much money really turn any man sour? It's you know you know all those funny people who think that celebrities have been replaced by a clone. Uh, like you really can tell a difference in like the doe-eyed, uh, happy, loved Lin Manuel Miranda of of In the Heights, and like he you can you can see where he sold his soul, and I mean that figuratively. I don't think he really sold his soul or became a clone. That's silly, you sillies. Uh, you can see the moment he sold his soul, and it's around the time that uh, Disney gave him so much money that he could finance a new jawline. <laughs> that's not plastic surgery bashing. That's uh, that's that's just that's just chitting. That's just chitting and chatting. <laughs> I am now gonna go all in complaining about ticket prices, and I kind of talked about this on TikTok, but you can only say so much on TikTok, and I'm about on my last leg. 
of what I can say on there, but I'm going to go the fuck off on this podcast. So if you've listened this far for the next 30 minutes, you're really going to get what I think. I hope I don't hype it up too much. It might be a premium rant. Okay, just I'm just going to let out the steam. So I get I get a little bit of money through a little deal that you'll all hear about later. And I was like, I have not seen theater for six months. I have not got and theater is so important to my life, which sounds stupid, but it's true. I haven't seen theater in six months. The Hadestown tour is like two hours away in a couple of weeks in Charlotte, North Carolina. I wonder if I can find a way to like be driven there so that I can go see it because I don't have a car because I'm a total fucking loser who ruined his fucking life. Anyway, facilitate the ride to Charlotte. Great. Start looking at ticket prices. For one thirty on a fucking Sunday matinee, the cheapest price was 200 and something dollars. And I went, ma'am, are you okay? To Town. Are you okay, ma'am? Have you missed the plot, sir? It's what I felt like looking at those fucking ticket prices. Theater is dying in this country, and it deserves to die. (laughs) At least this version of it. Theater will continue to always live, but this version of commercial theater is really the fucking pits. Can we all agree How many people feel good about paying that much money for two hours of your time? How many people are left that will do it? How many? Not too many left. The bubble has popped. You people just haven't noticed yet because you're too blinded. And by you people, I mean the Broadway elites. Mr. Jordan Roth, who produces Hadestown primarily... As in, he's one of the biggest producers of it. There's lots of producers. This show is about how capitalism kills fucking everything. True love cannot exist under capitalism. Nothing but badness can exist under capitalism. No escape under capitalism. The wheel will keep turning under capitalism and we will keep losing. And the we's are the not you's of the world, Jordan Roth. Those of you, those those of us who do not have ridiculous, who do not have Scrooge McDuck amount of bathe in coin money. Hadestown is an indictment of capitalists like Jordan Roth, (laughs) like most of the Broadway elites in general, like the system of Broadway in general. And this show about how the common person cannot rise up because of capitalism's grip cannot be seen by the common person. They can't even get the message that they can't escape because they can't afford to get the message. Did you know it used to be cheaper in the golden age of Broadway to sit in the back of the mezzanine of a matinee of a beautiful Arthur Miller show or a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical? It was cheaper to do that than it was to go to the first run of a movie in one of the Times Square movie houses. Theater, Broadway, was called the people's art. And that was taken. Broadway was taken 
from the people. The people cannot afford Broadway anymore. So Broadway is no longer the people's art. It is a homogenized. I said that wrong. I'm not going to try to say it again. It is a homogenized. I lied. Joke. Because even the shows that condemn the current system cannot be seen by those who need to rise up against it to stop this evil machine from continuing. Maybe, as I speak this out, this was archetyped on purpose. Because if too many people saw Hades Town, they would say, hey, the capitalistic business practices of Hades Town are really disgusting. Maybe we should consume theater in a different way. It makes it hard to care about shows that I actually love. And even when I get to see things, I feel like I'm part of this 1% and it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel fair that most of my friends and family cannot afford to experience this two hours of time that I am. That it costs as much as two people to go to Disney World for 12 hours as it does for two hours of Town for one person on the second run the second year run of its national tour i never paid more than like 70 dollars to see it on broadway with the original cast crazy beans crazy beans this house is full of crazy beans crazy beans i'm so tired i'm so tired of feeling cynical but i'm also not going to lie Because everybody puts on a brave face in the theater world and goes, this is fine, this is okay, this is just the way that it has to be because everybody wants to keep working. The theater community has already told me they don't want me working there. I can say whatever I I want. And what I want to say is that it sucks that everything I once loved about Broadway turns the cynicism in the end because of the business practices of commercial theater in this country right now. And for other reasons, too. I feel like every hero I had growing up, I have to be careful. Uh, So when I was younger, I really, I just fell in love with a certain character in Rent. As we all did at a point in high school when the movie came out. And those of us who saw it in high school who weren't young enough to realize how shit that movie was latched on to that cast. Remember that time period? Good times. I latched on relating to one of the characters for no real reason uh, because I was a teenager and had no idea what that show was really about. Like a young teenager in South Carolina. I had no idea what it was really about and who these really characters are. These characters, what they really are upon adult inspection are pieces of shit. Watch Lindsay Ellis's video. Anyway, but one, I got to be careful. One particular actor, character, made me, like, of course, idolize the actor who originated this character. So I got this actor's book. uh, And since becoming an adult, I have seen some of the things this actor texts girls unsolicitedly uh i I, i've seen the text i've seen the video from the text i have it i shouldn't 
but I have it because I was with somebody one time when this person sent it to them. And oh boy, is it something that is burned into my retinas, unfortunately. And it's like I can no longer enjoy this person I once idolized as a kid and once made me excited to do theater. This person made me ex- – I wanted to be like them. I wanted their career, which was stupid looking back on their career as an adult. But <laughs> being in one great zeitgeist show does not a Broadway star make. Huh? Original cast of Rent? <laughs> <laughs> And then you, I go back and I think about this person's memoir that I obsessed over as a kid and highlighted. I even recited a piece of it uh, when we had to do a recitation in acting class when I went to an acting boarding school for a short period of time. I reread it now and I'm like, oh, you talk about gleefully slapping your mother for no reason in this book. You talk about domestic abuse of your boyfriend at the rent stage door, if I believe correctly, because your boyfriend found out you were cheating, so you got mad at your boyfriend and physically assaulted him because you got caught cheating. And I look back and I go, oh, well, I guess this person was always kind of a piece of shit, huh? And then you love Bob Fosse, right? Everybody loves Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse is one of the reasons I wanted to direct theater and still want to direct theater. I get his autobiography, start reading, not even three chapters in, and he's showing his dick to 16-year-olds. What? There goes that one. I post a video of Ben Vereen in the original Jesus Christ Superstar, a very rare video. Get a comment that I should check out what he did to the cast of Hair in Tampa when he directed Hair there and read the the most egregious act of sexual assault and abuse that I have ever read in my life. And that story was covered up by the theater community so that they could continue to praise Ben Vereen. Well, there goes Ben Vereen, another hero. And it's like that over and over again with Broadway. And Broadway refuses to address it. Broadway refuses to address this problem and goes farther, usually continues to reward the people that have very well-documented abuse against them. Ben Vereen won a fucking award in the last year. He was allowed to speak at BroadwayCon, which is mostly motherfucking kids. Kids. Kids! And you fuckfaces let him go to BroadwayCon, shout and spout his I'm connected to Ram Dass, I'm a Mr. Spiritual, horse shit. When that article is something everybody in theater press is privy to, which is not even to mention, I have got had to get in contact with a journalist because after I posted my initial video on Ben Vereen on TikTok, exposing, not exposing, well, kind of exposing all of this because Broadway buried the story. I start getting messages like crazy from people with stories. I had to contact a journalist because I'm not equipped that many people with that article out about hair in Tampa, Broadway knows who that man fucking is. And Broadway said, why don't you come and talk to kids and pretend to be a spiritual leader and bing, bang, bong, bullshit. 
while we give you awards. How do you love that Broadway? How do you continue on wanting to be associated with this version of Broadway? I find myself, by the day, waning. And it's not just Broadway. It's commercial theater in, in general. And then you read and you hear stories of mostly brown women, like in the case of I'm Revolting and uh, Jagged Little Pill on Broadway where brown people go to stage management, go to the creative team, go to the director about dire health concerns and are completely ignored and put into situations where they could have died. At Jagged Little Pill, because their heads were up their asses, and I'm revolting, because they thought they had to have smoke on stage, even though a person and their doctor had said that they cannot be around smoke because of their asthma. Smoke was more, in fog on stage was more important than the life of the brown woman acting their material. How can you give a fuck about a commercial theater that operates this way? And then you think about how it's not just the commercial theaters, it's the regional nonprofits as well. The story I told at the beginning of this about Rocky Horror at Trustus Theater is a regional nonprofit theater. And everybody I know has horror stories from regional theaters, whether it's stuff like I described or it's stuff like Mad Cow Theater in Orlando, who just would not pay anybody, who just would refuse to pay anybody unless you took them to court. So you can't be excited about the nonprofits who are supposed to be bringing good art to the, the smaller parts of the of, of 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 this country. And then you go, can I get excited about the community theaters? Well, no, because everybody has a story about abuse in community theater, and and it's 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 everywhere. The community theater I grew up in, Florence, South Carolina, the Florence Little Theater, I was in a production of Susical. I played the cat in the hat because I'm great and I only take leads. No ensemble work for Jonathan. Jonathan has not ever met the ensemble. Jonathan only knows the lights in his eyes, babies. <laughs> anyway, directed by this guy named Joey. I don't give a fuck. Sue me, fuckface. I have evidence. Fuck you. So Joey... This is a mostly child production. They have a couple of adults like me playing some of the bigger leads, and the rest are cast with children, right? And I was only, like, maybe 18. I was right out of high school, right? Uh, found out years later, have proof of it, have messages that have, have the messages he sent to children, young boys, asking about saying that his friend was doing a college survey and that he needed all these questions asked about their masturbation habits, and he needed pictures of, like, their torso between their crotch uh, and their stomach because it was all for science and all for a research paper. And really, this was a motherfucker trying to get something, uh, get sexual gratification from the children that he had power over as their director in the small town community 
theater. It makes me want to fucking slap the shit out of somebody. It makes me go fucking crazy. This motherfucker, Joey, worked for the middle school in town. Worked for Florence School District 1. I heard a rumor he is back working up motherfucking Florence School District 1, right? So I make everybody aware, I with the children's permission that he did this to, who are now, you know, young adults, we all come forward together about all of this, pre present proof of it. First, we go silently to the community theater. We don't go public and we go silent and we say, this happened, here's the proof. Don't ever let him on your stage again. I will be fucked if their next show did not have this motherfucker in a lead role with an underage young boy also in the cast. I'll be fucked. So then I went fucking berserko mode and went to the press, posted the proof of all of this everywhere, tagged that motherfucker in it, because he used to message me all the time about my masturbation habits when I was like 18. They were going to let, if I had not lost my mind, this community theater was going to let that motherfucker back on stage, back around his hunting ground for children. Shame, shame, shame. And everyone has stories of some degree from community theaters. Everyone has them from regional theaters. Everyone has them from nonprofits. Everyone has them from tours. Everyone has them from Broadway. And nothing is being done about it. Broadway did not even comment on the Me Too scandal. Broadway said, we're good. We'd like to continue sexually assaulting, please. Me Too is great and all, but have you ever uh, sexually assaulted someone? We like that better. Victims are kind of icky. We'd rather protect the perps. That's the direction Broadway took. They didn't say a goddamn thing about Me Too when stuff came out about members of their community. Mr. William Ivy Long, they were still at the reopening of Chicago, smiling their little fucking ass off. Being greeted with cheers and smiles and hugs and handshakes. They don't care. They don't care what they've done to you. None of them even spoke the name Scott Rudin, and he was bashing the fist of his employees through their computer screens. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that for decades, what Scott Rudin would do and who he was. Everyone. Everyone certainly fucking knew after he hired Amar Ramachar, is that his name, that, that little motherfucker? The New York City ballet member who had gotten naked pictures from a fellow ballerina and distributed them in a group chat of all the other male dancers. Not only was that fucking talentless fucking creep allowed back into the organization of the American Ballet, Scott Rudin had him cast in Ivo's West Side Story. Shame on both of those men, honestly. Disgusting. Putting the wrist of those risk, putting those young cast members, many of whom were making their Broadway debut at extreme risk. Your Maria had not even graduated from uh, NYU. She was so young, if I'm remembering correctly. And you put her next to this 40-year-old tone-deaf fucking creep 
who can't act or sing, who's way too old for the role, and who's not even the correct nationality. He's Iranian, playing a Puerto Rican. You're making a statement when you do that, Broadway. And that statement is we support the abusers. Fuck the abused. And theater, from the bottom to the top, keeps making the same statement. Pandemic happens. Broadway, oh, we'll do better. We'll do better. We're sorry. We'll do better. Empty, hollow words that they had no intention of carrying out actions to. It has gotten worse since the pandemic. On all fronts, abusers are still being aggrandized. Ticket prices are soaring beyond the reach of even the upper middle class. Shows have become cynical, hot messes, like Almost Famous the Musical and The Devil Wears Prada. And nothing gets done about it. Even when there are articles. Even when the victims come forward and speak loudly. The theater train keeps chugging. And the theater engine is pulling behind it a bunch of fucking abusers sitting in the luxury car. When does it stop? How long will it go on? Because, oh, I'm getting emotional. I have stories I haven't told that happened to me when I was young. A lot of people who grew up in the theater do. They're horrific. Which shaped a lot of my personality of screaming about the theater community. Because nothing was done. Nothing will be done. The only, I, and, and I have not been an angel my entire life. I've been an asshole. I've been pretentious. I've let mental illnesses go unchecked. Never been really good with money. I feel like it's my atonement in life to make sure, at the very least, this is being screamed about from the heavens somewhere. And that someone, even if they're just some sweaty fuck who blew their life up and is now stuck living in their parents' house in South Carolina, even if it's them, someone has to scream about it. And this is not me going on a self-righteous hero thing. I wish I didn't have to. It makes me upset that no one else will. It makes me upset that the establishment will continue to harbor these awful people and continue to kick the abused to the curb. And with that, that's the end of the Sweaty Oracle Podcast. For the week. Did you enjoy it? Was it worth the two week wait? Papa got kind of heated at the end. 
As always, send your blind items, rumors, anonymous tea, gossip, bullshit to Juicy Theater Tea. That is theater with an R-E. We're classy. JuicyTheaterTea at gmail.com. Also, uh, at, at least for now, this is all supported by donations. Uh, it's been hard to record a new podcast without a computer. If you feel inclined, uh, that same email is linked to a cash app and a PayPal. Currently, no Venmo. I do have a Zelle. You can email me about that. And even $5 is appreciated because it keeps me going, which keeps this show going. Some very exciting announcements coming soon. Uh, I think that's it for now. I love everyone who listens to this. I sometimes feel like the only purpose I have waking up is to scream things that you guys listen to, the small devoted audience, and I, I'm getting emotional. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys. I'm going to cast you all when I become Mr. King of Broadway after the apocalypse. When I become ruler of Broadway once the revolution happens, you will have the spoils, my beautiful babies. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>